Oh, thank you so much. And uh, if I may say to every covenant lifer here, I, I guess, and all the advanced people as well, I, it's just been such, so fantastic being with you this week. It's, I can't, well, I can't, shouldn't really say this, but I can't remember the last time I enjoyed a trip like this so much. I just have been so blessed by it, and I really appreciate everything that you've all done. And um, I want us to look at Galatians again tonight, and to, to follow on from last night, where we, we looked with a very wide-angle lens at the whole book, and tried to do all of Galatians in an evening, and say, this is really what it's about. And we got out the three cups, and looked at the three different ways in which the gospel comes across in the letter. And it was a very, I suppose, big picture of Galatians. Tonight I want to do the exact opposite, zero in on a very specific paragraph, and some would say kind of an obscure paragraph, not the normal one you'd go to to preach on this letter. It's actually the last paragraph, or the last two, depending on how your Bible breaks them down. So we're going to be in Galatians 6 and verse 11, and read to the end of the letter. And this is going to be zooming in with a very close angle lens. We're going to be looking in at just one paragraph or even one sentence, and one particular clause in that sentence, to try and contrast, I suppose, with the very big picture we saw last night. You know, a personal gospel, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. A corporate gospel, there's now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And a cosmic gospel, Jesus gave himself for our sins to liberate us from this present evil age. So we saw those three gospels last night. What we're going to do tonight is just zoom in on one passage to try and see a really key theme that I think is underrepresented in our general thinking and evangelicalism in the West in general. Um, and so if you be in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 11. See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world." For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. See what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. When Paul says that, he's just saying, this is the bit that I wanted to write, right? We don't know why Paul had to make big letters. We don't know whether he was like just taught at a school where a little bit late and maybe it formed a bit late. We don't know whether it's because of injury. We don't know whether he just never quite got his head around it. But Paul wanted to write these words himself, personally, rather than with a scribe, which is usually how it would work. And he wanted to write the sentence, these people who I've been ranting about for this whole book, these people desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. And we're going to talk about boasting tonight. We're going to talk about boasting in the cross. And it's a good year to talk about boasting. 
I think. <laughs> I didn't even need to make the joke. It's funny, some people start laughing already. I was, thought I might have to clarify, but you guys live within about 30 miles of uh, uh, perhaps an epicenter of boasting, and you may not even need me to clarify where it's coming from. <laughs> My favorite is... Um, you know the tweet that said, the new Pope is a very humble man, very much like me, which probably explains why I like him so much. <laughs> this is just, this just, this illustration serves itself. You don't need to say anything, really. So there is some political grounds, perhaps, for saying it's a good time to talk about boasting. But historically, it's a good time to talk about boasting. As mentioned last night, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It's a very important development in our story. Whatever kind of Protestantism you came from into this conference, it's a very important moment for us. And that Reformation, Martin Luther saw, if you like, as a call to repent from boasting in works, like the theologians of glory, and instead to boast in the cross, the theologians of the cross. And for Martin Luther, that was at the center of what he was doing from very early on in the Reformation. If you were to read the Heidelberg Disputation, see how he reasons what he is centering in on. He's beginning, this is a reformation of the source of our boasting, among other things. So it's politically a good time to talk about it. It's historically a good time to talk about boasting. It's also theologically a good time to talk about it because I would say there are a few concepts in which the Apostle Paul is more interested and yet the evangelical church in the West, where many of us are from, is less interested than the subject of boasting. Paul mentioned it dozens of times, and many of the time we don't even notice it, because we're not very interested in it. It's not a huge part, I'm honest, it hasn't been a huge part of my theology until very recently. It's not something I'd particularly seen as an important theme, and yet when you read Paul, you find he's continually referring to it. Paul mentions boasting, by my count anyway, more than the rest of the Bible put together. This is a huge issue for him. But I wonder if when he came to visit my church, whether Paul might say some version of what he said in Romans 3.27, where is boasting? Well, I think he might come and say, why are you guys not talking about this theme? Where is it? And actually, this bit of the letter is the bit he wanted to write in his own hand. He wanted to land here. I'm going to own this bit. This is from me personally. People want to boast in your flesh, and I don't want to boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world's been crucified to me. And I think that one of the reasons why we may not think about boasting as a major theme is because to many of us, the word probably sounds a little bit childish. I don't think most of us would think of ourselves as boasters, my guess would be. I don't think that would be something, people might think, oh, I struggle with pride or something like that, but many of us probably wouldn't use that language of ourselves, thinking, what are you boasting in? You know, it's not really the way we talk now. And so most of us hear the word boasting, I expect, and think something like, my dad's bigger than your dad. Or, you know, that's what boasting sounds like. I'm the king of the castle, you're the dirty rascal. Does that translate... English people know it, right? but that's what we think boasting is. We think it's a six-year-old kid. My son is eight, and we are trying to deal with the issue of boasting and gloating with him. So he wins a game, and he's like, I win. I always win. And so we've introduced him, I'm afraid, to your president um, as an example of what that might look like and how that's perhaps not the best sort of thing to which to aspire. And... Uh, and it's actually, in some ways, been a, a way of sort of saying, actually, you know, we don't want to 
gloat and boast too much like President Trump and so on. Um, Unfortunately, then, my senior pastor, whose name is Steve, uh, sends me texts when his football team beat my football team. And Zeke, my son, caught me recently and he saw it and he asked me about it. And I said, well, it's because he's celebrating that they've won the game. And he gets that he's doing it. And then he just looks at me with his impish grin and he goes, so Steve Tibbet is an even bigger boaster than President Trump. (laughs) And I just... You can imagine that went very quickly back to my senior pastor as you want to watch it because people are watching. But I think actually, seriously, when we hear the word boasting, we think of that. We might think of a sort of presidential Twitter feed or we might think of children, but we probably don't think of something that you and I and the people in the communities we serve are particularly doing on a regular basis. It sounds a bit no, 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 no. And I think in some ways we need to understand what boasting was in the ancient world and then, I'm, so I'm hoping to persuade you really of three things tonight. I want you to p- persuade you that boasting is alive and well in the modern world by showing you what it was in Paul's world. And then I want to show you that it is in fact an inevitable feature of human life and we're all going to boast. And thirdly, to show you that there is only one solution to the problem, right? Boasting is very much alive and well and it's an inevitable feature of human life and there is only one solution. That's where, I'm, that's where we're going. And so firstly, I want to convince you that boasting is everywhere in our world, and I think the best way of doing that is to show you what it was in the ancient world. So in the ancient world, boasting was the thing that you did when you were in danger and about to go into battle, among other things. It's not the only environment it came up in, but it was a common thing that you would have a boast. You would go into battle, and as you were about to go into battle, you would boast. Your boast, in a sense, was your reassurance to yourself that you had reason to be confident of victory. And if you then bear in mind what that is, you read the Old Testament as if that's a thing, you'll notice it everywhere. You will notice Goliath standing there going, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It's a boast. It's a military boast. What he's doing is he's boasting in his enormous size as a way of saying just simply, Israelites do not produce people nine foot tall. So I'm going to win. But he's boasting and in a sense geeing himself up and taunting them in, pre- in preparation for battle. Or you will find the Rabshakeh or the field commander in Isaiah 36 and 37. As he stands on the walls of Jerusalem taunting the city saying you've got to surrender. Hezekiah tells you God will rescue you but he won't because all the other nations have said that and they thought their gods would save them and none of them did. And now here we are banging on the gates of Jerusalem. And in fact, in one case, this is glorious biblical trash talk, isn't it? The Rabshakeh says, these men are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. What a fantastic one-liner that is. Wouldn't you love to see that at a party conference or something? These come and come to me, I will give the Republicans to eat their own. I mean, it's just extraordinary sort of... That's, but that's a boast, and they do that, and you'll notice it. If you read the Bible with this in mind, you'll, you'll see an awful lot of it. You'll see Ben-Hadad of Syria says to Ahab, May the gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls or for all the people who follow me. He's boasting. He's, he's goading them, and he's reassuring his men and himself that he's confident of victory. Ahab comes back with this reply, Let not him who straps on his armor boast as one who takes it off. That's a fantastic response. So again, next time somebody comes up and trash talks you about a game you're playing, you can just say, let not the one who who puts on his armor boast as if he's just taken it off, which is a great little 
proverb. This kind of boasting is the sort of thing you find in iconic scenes in the movies. This is what boasting is. It's the rallying call to yourself and your troops. What we do in life echoes in eternity. On my signal, unleash hell. Hold the line. That's, that's the boast, right? These are a little bit of military tactics, but the majority of it is a summons to Romans. So sorry, that's from Gladiator, I'm sure, but if you... If you haven't seen Gladiator, you may not have lived, so maybe you wouldn't even be here. But anyway, so the, the, the ranks are charging, and there's a boast. There's a summons to the people. You've got you've to understand who you are and where your confidence lies. It's the boast that you find in, uh, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Yeah, in Braveheart. That's a boast, isn't it? It's, it's a rousing speech, and a lot of our most iconic movie moments are like that. Actually, they are boasts. There is a day where the strength of men fails, but today is not that day. This day, we fight. And you go, I want to fight for Aragorn, and I'm not even in Middle Earth. Like, <laughs> it's how you, that's what a boast is. Henry V, again, the English might appreciate that rather more than certainly the French, who I imagine there's not so many of here, but all the Americans. But, um, but you know, these people, they will, they will wish, these men who are at home in their beds will wish that they were here. And that they will wish, they will hear stories of what we did on St. Christmas Day, and they will wish that they'd been here and actually pretend they were. And those sorts of things in the movies and in the plays are boasts. One of, I think possibly my favorite, which is a more recent movie, some of you will know it, some of you won't, but if you don't, just bear with me. You can imagine Liam Neeson saying it. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you, I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. And then there's a long pause, and then the voice goes, good luck. It's just such a great, great villain moment. And you're just like, he, that's a boast. He's, saying, he's speaking to himself, and he's speaking to the other person, saying, this is where my confidence is. And uh, we don't, I have this thing on my side, and therefore I will prevail. And that's what boasting was in Paul's world. It was an assertion of your ultimate confidence. When I'm facing danger, this is the thing that I trust in and can secure myself in my identity that I will prevail because this thing is there. This is like, it's like my anchor. This is my hope. This is my hiding place. So for Goliath, it's his size, right? He's a huge guy. That's all he needs to boast in. For Maximus in Gladiator, it's the glory of Rome. For Aragorn, it's the courage of men against the people who are not men and are trying to destroy mankind. For William Wallace, it's the power of freedom. It's the power of Scotsmen, even though they're under-resourced, fighting against the English. And the fact that they're wearing skirts and only have bits of tree doesn't mean they won't win because they're, they're Scotsmen fighting for freedom and the English are hired oiks and they're going to lose. That's the, but you see, it's the boast, isn't it? The boast is grounded. This is what I believe in. This is where my confidence comes from. Liam Neeson is boasting in his very particular set of skills. If you've seen the movie. And what they're all saying is, I've got this thing on my side, and therefore I will triumph. I will win. I've got strength, speed, guns, the gods, destiny. Because of those things, I will prevail. We don't have to look very far to find modern equivalents, do we? It's obvious in sports. So I played 
You wouldn't believe it to look at me, but I played a lot of rugby at university and at school. And uh, you gather around, the, 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 and the boast was, you never use the word boast, but you gather around, and there's 15 men, most of whom are obviously much larger than me, um, but there's 15 men around in a circle, and it's like this proper, sh- like, roaring, just sighs of, hoo, hoo, and you're just making these, and all of you doing it, Roar! and you make these huge noises. It's really a boast. It's a way of saying to yourself, we will conquer. And that happens in sport as a sort of an outlet for the wartime mindset of humanity that doesn't get expressed in war so much in a lot of cultures and therefore gets expressed in sport. It's a huge feature of politics, and I don't just mean of President Trump. I mean, it's, it's true even in, in, in the British election we've just had. We need strong and stable leadership. Strong and stable leadership. It's not just a brand statement. It's actually a boast. It's to say, this is where my confidence is that we are going to win. I think this is my message because this is the the place my confidence is grounded in. Mothers boast in certain products, in certain techniques, in certain programs. Conservatives boast in their traditions. Liberals boast in their progress. Boasting is everywhere on social media. Sometimes I go online and I just think, this is just a series of boasts from beginning to end in different things. Influencers boast in the influence they have. Patriots boast in their nation. And it gets into the church as well. Our church, tradition, movement is growing. Theirs is shrinking. Our movement is attracting young people. Yours is hemorrhaging them. Our leaders are courageous, bold. Yours are capitulating to the spirit of the age or whatever. And actually, it's very easy, isn't it, even in the church, to begin to place the grounds of your confidence explicitly in something other than the cross of Christ. Where is boasting? The answer is actually everywhere, if you understand what it is. Think this, the world is full of people saying, because I have this level of confidence in this thing, I will prevail in the face of danger. So I hope that's enough to make us nervous for a moment and to think, well, yeah, that might, that might be more common than I'd realize. That's not just I'm the king of the castle. Now, the reason why we are like that and why we are not as far from the Galatians as we might hope is the second thing, right? I wanted to convince you, one, boasting is everywhere. Two, that boasting is an inevitable feature of human life. And that's why it's everywhere. Because actually, there is no way of being human without boasting. We can't live without it. I want to, that sounds odd, so I'll try and convince you why that's true. All of us live daily with the threat of death. Right? We are deeply fragile, vulnerable people who, because we have medicine and cleverness and a longer life expectancy, we kid ourselves that we are nearly immortal until something happens to someone close and suddenly it hits us. That could happen to me today. That could happen to me tomorrow. I am so fragile. And because I am continually subject to a wide range of things, diseases, accidents, terrorism, natural disasters, goodness knows what, many, many things on any day that could kill me at any moment, I do two things. One of the things I do is I try and avoid thinking about it, and usually that works. Right? I just suppress it. I say, I'm not going to think about that. And sometimes we pay uh, good people good money to distract us from thinking about death. This is something Blaise Pascal said in the uh, sort of 17th century France. He said, why is it that the king of France has a fool? Why does the, most, the richest, most powerful man in the world, which the king of France was then, why does he employ somebody to sit there and distract him 
as a full-time job to say silly things that keep his eyes moving around and distract him is because it distracts the king of France from thinking about his own death. So that's why man's unhappy, because he doesn't, can't just sit quiet in his own room. Pascal's very insightful, because in our culture, I suspect in yours, I know what nation you're all from, but I suspect in your culture, some of, if not the highest paid people in your society on a salary basis are people whose professional job is to distract us from thinking about our own death. If I said to you, forget capital gains, right? So people who make money through building companies, who are the highest paid salaried people in your culture? They would be sportsmen and entertainers. They would be people whose full-time job is to stop the human race from thinking about death. So Pascal would say, and I think he's probably right. What we do is we say, I don't want to think about death because I'm fragile, that's a horrible thought, so I will invest a lot of time and resources to not think about it, and therefore we will pay enormous salaries to people who hit a ball, or kick a ball, or in a puzzling inversion of the word football, throw a ball. Um, and I might as, I've made some enemies already, I might as well just keep going. Um, but we will pay enormous salaries to those people such that we will have footballers in my country who will be paid 20 or 30 times what the president is paid. Or more. Because we value people stopping us from thinking about death more than we value wise political leadership. That's what we pay for. And you get what you pay for. Now, that's what, that's, we are fragile creatures. So, so that's what, seriously. So that's what we do. We, are, we try and distract ourselves from death. But that is not enough. And the threat of death remains there because we still know and live among people who are subject to death. And we have family members and friends who risk death or get sick. And we begin to remember, yeah, we are vulnerable. And vulnerability leads to insecurity. And insecurity is what causes boasting. We don't know whether we are going to prevail or not daily. Whether we're going into battle or going into public office, or going into work in the morning, we don't know whether we're going to prevail, so we identify a source of boasting, something that will ground our confidence in the face of an uncertain world that might kill us at any moment. And we all do it. It's part of what it means to be mortal, friends. It is, because we know death might come. And so we say, in order to stave that off, I'll try not to think about it, but when that doesn't work, I will find a boast. I will ground my hope in something that will stand for me, that will anchor me through the storms to come and protect me from the threat of death. And we believe it will secure us in the face of danger, and that in itself is not sinful. That's a concession of our humanity and our fragility and our mortality. One of the most common grounds of boasting in the Old Testament and today is in our children. So this would be something that is easier to see in the Bible in the case of women, and maybe today as well, to be honest. But certainly true of men as well, as we'll see in a moment. One of, the, one of the fascinating stories of boasting I see is in the story of Leah, who is the woman who is not as loved. Her, she's overshadowed by her younger sister. And Jacob loves her younger sister rather than her, and so she has these sons. That's the thing she can do. She can have children, and her sister can't. Sister Rachel. So she says, I'm going to have these sons and I will name them things that identify my boast. She names her son Ruben. Look, a son. I've got one. My husband is going to love me now, isn't he? And then she names the second one, Shimeon. Heard. God has heard me. He's provided me with another boy. Rachel doesn't have those. And then she names the third son, Levi. 
God is, my husband is now going to be attached to me, brackets, rather than her, because I keep producing these boys. And it's only when she realizes that her boast accounts for nothing that she names her fourth boy, Yehuda. Praise. This time I will praise the Lord. And it is that boy who goes on to become the ancestor of the boast of the nations. But she is a boaster, and we all are. She says, women today, it's very, very common to boast in our children as an expression of immortality because life might get me, but God willing, it's not also going to take all of them. And so we boast in the things we can do to produce children. And that's not just in case the men are thinking, ah, yes, that is what women do. (laughs) Guys, why do you think God made the symbol of anti-fleshness circumcision because he knew that the key symbol in every civilization I don't want to be crude but it's true the key symbol in almost every civilization of male virility and strength and power is his penis and so what God does is he institutes a cut in the flesh of a man as if to say even where you think you're strongest you are weak and I want you to know that because what it means to trust me is to be somebody who recognizes weakness and throws themselves in the arms of God rather than somebody who says, I will boast. So every time a man goes to the toilet, he looks down and thinks, I'm a weak man. I have a cut in my flesh and I am reliant on the God who raises the dead. I don't have as much power as I think. The, the other cults around Israel are worshiping phallic symbols. And God says, I'm going to take your phallic symbol and I'm going to cut the end off as a demonstration that you cannot boast in your own power. So imagine, if you would, the irony of a community of people turning the symbol of human weakness and anti-flesh into a reason for boasting, which is what's happened in Galatia. And that's why Paul's so angry, because he said, you have somehow, in your twisted fashion, managed to take these signs that God has given us for thousands of years to say, people are weak, you need to boast in God. People are weak, you need to boast in God. Otherwise, you're going to be cut off just like your foreskin has been. And instead, turn that into a grounds of celebrating virility and strength. You need to become circumcised like me, or you're not a real Christian. And to turn circumcision into a weird, weird version of what we do in life echoes in eternity, as if that's what you're going to boast in. Do you see the irony? And so Paul is saying, hang on, guys. These people want to boast in the flesh. I don't want to boast in the flesh. The whole point of the flesh is it isn't something you can boast in, and that's why circumcision existed in the first place. But human beings are so fragile and so vulnerable that we will take anything even a sign of weakness in our own flesh and somehow in our sinful way twisted into something that could be a ground for boasting. We are so vulnerable to the daily threat of death that boasting in something, somewhere, is inevitable. You're really glad you came, aren't you? This is kind of heavy. There is a solution. Our grounds for boasting, our strength, our plans, our works, our power, our fertility, our children, our leadership, our values, None of those things are strong enough to sustain us in the face of death. And the louder we shout about them, the less convincing they become. Again, see Twitter. At the same time, we are not people for whom not boasting at all is an option. We need, we need as mortal people a basis for boasting beyond ourselves. We have to have one. So what we do is we scrabble around and try and find one, even if it's the most unlikely sort of thing. And there is only one solution, and it is found, spelled out for us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. 
Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The alternative to boasting in works or boasting in the flesh is not boasting in nothing. It's boasting in the cross of Jesus. And that is a massive statement. And what Paul does is he kind of sticks together two ideas, one very old and one very new. The very old idea that it's half of his statement is that God's people should boast in the Lord, right? Far be it from me except to boast in the Lord. That is an old statement. That goes right the way through the Old Testament. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So why does God send all these tens of thousands of guys home? Because otherwise you'll boast in yourself. I don't want that. I want you to boast in me. So he sends them all home. Some trust in horses and chariots, says the psalmist. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's the boast. Some people go into battle. We're going to win because look at these horses and chariots. No, 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 we don't. We don't have any horses and chariots. We, we, We boast in the name of the Lord, the one who throws our enemies into the deep. Psalm 34, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Jeremiah 9, 23, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, notice Jeremiah is assuming we all do, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness. So this is an old concept. Half, half of Paul's statements, you've got to boast in the cross of the Lord. Half of that's old. Because he's saying, boasting in the Lord, that goes way back. My favorite one is from the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 31. For their rock, speaking of the nations, for their rock is not like our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. It's a wonderful boast. That's a glorious boast. Their rock, the rock of the nation, their rock's not like our rock. They're on their own. Our rock stands for us and fights for us and parts the sea. Their rock is made of wood. So that's how, in many ways, Israel used to boast. And Paul is taking that boast and saying, I'm validating that. You know what you want to boast? You want to boast in the Lord, like Israel always has. But he is giving it a dramatic twist that is completely new in Israel's story. Because what he's saying is, It is not just that the Galatians are to boast in the Lord. It is that the Galatians and we are to boast in the cross of the Lord. Our boast, our source of confidence and strength is centered not just in God. That was true for Israel as well. Our boast is centered in God at the moment of his greatest vulnerability and weakness. That's where the boast comes from. The nations boast in their armies their successes, their triumphs, their achievements, their identities, and we boast in the exposure and shame and nakedness and ridicule and humiliation of the crucified God-man in whom the world and all its powers were crucified to us and we to the world. Their rock is not like our rock. Their rock would never do this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's a boasting song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's a boast. It's a declaration of that's where the hope comes from. That's my anchor. That's my boast. Not just the Lord, 
glorious as that would be, but the cross of the Lord in whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In modern terms, our boast is our identity. It's the thing we trust when the chips are down. It's the place we run to when things get sticky. It's what the psalmist would call our rock, our hiding place, our sun, our shield, our refuge, our shelter, our strong tower. That's our boast. The world offers all kinds of options. So if you're American, you can boast in freedom. If you're South African, you can boast in the ability to rip apart a wild animal with no natural additives. If you're English, you just boast in not being American or South African. <laughs> more seriously, more seriously, you, you can boast in economic success or military prowess or fertility. You can boast in human wisdom or identity politics or patriotism or religious zeal or effective church leadership. But none of those boasts will live up to the fanfare that you need them to when you are in danger. Sooner or later, you will go to blow your own trumpet or to toot your own horn and you will realize that it is making a rather unconvincing squelching sound because it doesn't live up to the hype. And the only boast that will never let you down and that will always live up to the hype, Paul says, is found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to us and us to the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, we pray that you would help us in a world full of fragility and vulnerability to be those who boast with a swagger and a confidence in the cross of Jesus. The only boast that never lets us down. The only speech from the movies that will still be resounding in the new creation. <laughs> when people have forgotten who Aragorn and Maximus and Liam Neeson were, they will still be saying, oh, you know, my anchor holds within the veil. Well, the one boast that never comes unstuck. And we pray that you would help us be those who live as a witness to the absolute reliability and power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in all circumstances, in all nations, for all generations. And we pray this in his name. Amen.